podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. He's like Pippo and Zaghi in that regard, except, you know, without the the goal return and maybe like the weird tantric sex stuff. best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back, everyone. As you have probably guessed already, this is not McMike opening the podcast off. Tito here with you, and I am joined by producer Mike, who's back from his honeymoon. Mike, how you doing, man? Much worse now. Much worse now. Great to be back, but it's not really <laughs> at the same time. You're, you're saying that uh, sitting in our respective offices is not as good as hanging out in St. Lucia under a uh, a grass-roofed cabana, drinking something out of coconut with a little umbrella in it? Yeah, believe it or not, it's not as good. I don't Tough. know. People might be surprised, but... Tough. Well... I mean, now that you've finished breaking my heart and shattering my self-esteem, uh, we can go ahead and confirm, too, that uh, the reason we don't have McMike this time around is that because he is allegedly, people say, people are saying, uh, following Rocco Camiso around and uh, just checking in on him, as he frequently does, uh, as Rocco is always happy to tell us. So, uh, yeah, McMike out on Rocco duty. Hopefully we'll get some updates next episode. But uh, yeah, I think I think allegedly, the point now. allegedly, 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 yeah, legal department is hammering on the windows of the studio here, screaming allegedly. We can't hear them. That's how the glass works. Uh, anyways, producer Mike, I get to ask you this time though. What are you drinking? Uh, so I got straight whiskey today. Um, Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. Highly recommended it. I tend to be a Jameson person, but uh, this was a nice bottle I've had for years that only finally opened on my wedding and have finally been actually really having it. So, uh, Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Nice, man. I guess I should have figured you as an Irish whiskey guy, given the, uh, you know, Michael Hines. Uh, yeah, man, I'm actually working on a Mezcal Negroni here, which just been getting into recently. Awfully nice. You uh, get the chance to throw... A little uh, little agave spirit in there instead of the gin gives you a little extra smoke, and it's mighty tasty. I will agree with that. I'm not a huge tequila drinker, but I do tend to like whiskeys, bourbons. So, like a little smokier flavor hits a little better. Does it? Hey, tell you what, let's talk about uh, getting smoked here because this is a Fiorentina podcast, right? I liked when we talked about liquor more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's basically the same thing these days uh as as you were probably aware fiorentina has won once in 2024 and we are almost at the end of february uh i know this is an audio medium but i think this is the point where we drop the uh not great bob dot gif into things uh we'll put yeah, in what, the article we'll put in the article yeah, yeah yeah there we go but yeah man what's what's the deal here what's gone wrong do you think I think pretty much everything's gone wrong. It's everybody's head is gone. 
what annoys me, I think, most was we sat on this podcast when I was last year. So that was like four weeks ago, a month ago at this point. And we said what we wanted to happen for the rest of the year. And I said, I want them to win the games that they're supposed to win. And guess what we've done none of since we started the year? Win the games we're supposed to win. Who do we drop points to? Sassuolo, Udinese, Lecce, Bologna. I know they're having a great year, but technically we should still beat them. And lastly, Empoli. Those games solidified us for an actual European contender at this point. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think it's also worth noting uh, how many of those teams have been bad enough that they've had to change coaches, too. As uh, Dionisi just got fired at Sassuolo. Uh, that's. I feel like that's a pretty good indication that things are just not working at all. Uh, not, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. What I mean, if you had to pick one thing, and again, I know that that is extremely reductive because there are so many things going wrong, but what do you think is the absolute worst thing going on? Like if you got... If you uh, if if you get to rub the lamp and bring the genie out, what is the one thing you wish for? I feel like it's mentality. I don't know. Like I'm kind of torn because, like, offensively we are just dire, and I know that five one win was definitely. It seems like a flash in the pan now. Like it doesn't seem like the team that they're supposed to be. It just kind of seems like a fluke result at this point, but. I mean, just mentality kind of seems to be crumbling. That Lecce game is probably the best example of it. Uh, giving up two goals after the 90th minute to lose. That can't happen. There's something going wrong with this team mentally where like they can't hold on to a lead or they can't score. Something needs to be sorted out there. And do you think that's a tactical thing or is that, yeah, something in the uh, the vague other category i think it's the vague other category i mean a lot of offensive troubles maybe could get drawn up to tactics but i think if it's a mentality issue it's that vague kind of other category i don't know what are you thinking i i think it's a mix honestly i do think that italiano does need to i think he does need to change a few things around i I think that getting a lucas beltran and Andrea Bellotti on the out there together is making a big difference. Uh, I also think that, I mean, hopefully once Christian Kwame is back, he's been released from the hospital after his malaria diagnosis, which is uh, about the most Fiorentina thing imaginable, right? Uh, comes back from winning AFCON, scoring an absolutely fantastic penalty in the shootout too. So congrats to him. Uh, but then co- contracted malaria down there and missed more time. Uh, so who knows how long it'll take him to really get fit, ramp all the way up. But yeah, I'm just, I guess my thing right now is uh, like, what's the best attack for this team? I know uh, McMike and I talked about it last episode a little bit, and it basically came down to uh, the front four. Would you rather have Ikone or Kwame out there? And I think I'm pretty solidly on the side of Kwame. I think Ikone, the highs are awfully high, but I think they can also be kind of... It could take a while from to get from one high to the next. The valleys are lengthy. Uh, yeah, we didn't actually... Since we didn't get your opinion on that, where are you on it? Yeah, I think it's... Well, one, if there's one caveat I do want to throw in, 
Um, I don't know how you guys just front four, if you're talking about how we normally set up with the Trecortista behind the striker, kind of in that four, two, three, one that we've been using for most of the year. Oh, yeah. I've, I've always thought that we've hundred percent looked better when we've been chasing games, kind of when we just, you know, throw caution to the wind, second striker up top. Like I did think that when it was Kwame, Beltran, probably Sotil and Nico as like a four, four, two kind of thing, it did tend to look a little better. So I do think that's why Bellotti in front of Beltran has looked a little better. So I do say ideal scenario would be Bellotti up top, Beltran behind with um, Nico and Kwame on the wings. So I just, I hope Kwame comes back and is just his normal self because he was a great player to start the year for us. Like, like kind of how he was last year. And I just feel bad. He does have an injury history and I just feel awful for that. And then just come on. How do you malaria? Like really? Like I can't catch a break. Yeah, he's he's had a rough go. I mean, on the other hand, he did get married earlier this year, so and he just won AFCON. So it's not like his life is entirely awful. And I mean, yeah, good for him. He could probably use that. Hopefully he can hang on to it while he is recovering from and we cannot stress this enough, malaria. Uh yeah, I think that I do think you're right though. I think that tactically Kwame just opens so much stuff up especially playing on the left. His defensive work is so good. He offers uh, Biragi or Parisi a lot of protection, which I think they kind of need, frankly. He's also an aerial target. So we've seen Italiano do a little bit of root one ball this year. And he's, along with Nico, like as far as an offensive player, they are the best in the air. So like that offers a whole lot more in the buildup where even if Kwame is not assisting or scoring, he's drawing in defenders because he's a target. He's someone you can find either in open space or with crowded defenders. Cause kind of like Nico, he has those rocket springs for legs. Yeah. I think that's a great point. The the one thing I'll add too, is that uh, he's a th- because he's a threat in the box, not just from long kicks from the back, but for crosses uh, having him attack the back post, I think will really, open things up for Faraoni and the other right backs coming forward. If Nico cuts in from the left or excuse me, from the right onto his left and opens up that overlap, Kwame coming in at the back stick is a significant threat. And I think that that helps a lot. Uh, The other thing he does, sorry, one more, one more, I swear. And then I'm done. You can cut me off. Uh, The other thing that he does really well is because he can play as a striker or as a 10 or on either wing is he adds a certain fluidity that is otherwise lacking. I mean, Ikone can play off the right, and he likes to play inside almost as a 10 sometimes, but he's mostly going to be out there on the right. Uh, Kwame, we saw it earlier this year with Beltran especially. Uh, They did a lot of interchanging of position, and I think it really confused opposing defenses and made Fiorentina look a lot better. So with Kwame, he can... uh, move inside and let Beltran or Belotti pull wide if they want. And I think he just, he offers more solutions basically than anyone else. I, I feel like he's basically the Alfred Duncan of the forwards. He's not the most technically gifted player out there, but he knows exactly what the team needs and he does it. And he's so smart and so selfless. He just makes everything else tick, even if he's not the star man. All right. Overall tactical question. Because I know there's definitely been some discussion about Italiano and how we've been setting up our wingers. 
do you think we're better with the wingers inverted or with their strong foot on the outside? Like Nico on the left, Kwame on the right, or do you think it's kind of better when they can cut in on that strong foot? I mean, I, I feel like that's just, I don't know. I feel like that's a, a question that just depends on a lot of other factors, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think probably having them, I think having the wingers move inside, especially if they're going to serve as aerial targets, is really important for a team that wants to cross as much as Fiorentina does. Again, I think I think the Viola is still the most crossy team in Serie A. So getting more bodies into the box is really important if that's going to be the approach. Uh, and I think that can frequently be or, or feel more natural for players uh, if they're inverted, even though they're not shooting. It just feels more natural to cut towards goal in that situation. Uh, but, I mean, that said, I can also see a case for keeping them on their natural i don't even think we can say natural side anymore yeah, right I don't, because, I don't know the word for it that's why i just threw in some nice roundabout words there yeah no that was good second mention stuff right <laughs> there that's a, that journalism degree really paying off for you uh yeah i mean I, I think the other thing there though is i could see the case for playing that way because you know it offers you a little more defensive solidity lets you defend in those two banks of four a little bit more and really keep that structure. So I, I think it really depends on what Italiano wants. And I'm not going to pretend like I have a better handle on how that should look than than he does. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do you have a do you have an opinion on this? I feel like if you're bringing it up, maybe you do. So like I'm kind of split too. That's what I was kind of curious where you'd go with this because I think it has its merits and it doesn't. Um, I think if this was last year, I would have said with the wingers inverted. Uh, Difference being that I thought last year Baragi was much better at his deliveries. So having somebody come in from the left, like you didn't have to worry about them sending balls into the box. Um, but Parisi's not necessarily a crosser. He's a carry the ball up the field and potentially get the ball into the final for that way versus um, Baragi, who's going to send the ball in from deep. But his delivery just kind of hasn't been great this year. So I'm kind of makes you wonder, does having Nico or Kone on that left being the one sending the ball in rather than Baragi, does that serve as kind of a better attack than having them inverted, cutting them inside to then not get found? I, no, that's a fair question. I think uh, I don't particularly like the idea of Ikone on the left because he's he's just never looked comfortable there and also as frustrated as we all get with him. I mean, what's his greatest weakness playing the final ball. If his job is just to go out and spam crosses, I mean, it's just going to be more opportunities for us to be irritated with him, I think. So I'm I'm happy to keep him on the right if that's the if that's the plan. Uh yeah, with Nico, same thing. I like having him on the end of crosses more than delivering them. And I think that having Baragi aim, aiming at him is helpful. I will say in defense of Cristiano Biragi, I agree with you that he's fallen off some this year. I don't think he's been as good, but I also think some of that has been tactical. He's been forced to play a lot deeper than he did last year. Uh, I mean, if you look at his, uh, at his touch maps, I think you can see that he's playing frequently as a, almost as a third midfielder, which is good because Fiorentina's midfield is usually just looks like ghosts. And so adding another guy in there is helpful. 
Uh, I mean, he he leads the team in touches pretty much every game, which is interesting for a left back and feels very uh very Guardiola esque. It's not entirely surprising though. I mean, when you saw like the statistics again, like he was one of the best uh, creators statistically in Europe last year. Just, I mean, quantity over quality probably just because of the sheer amount of crosses that he put into the box mixed with his set piece delivery. Like he was creating a lot of opportunities statistically, whether they were good opportunities is probably another question, but he was still creating a lot. So it doesn't really surprise me that the attack still kind of flows through him on that left side compared to Coyote, who's, I mean, he has a pretty decent delivery, but he's also still a teenager and that shows, and it's just been him this year too. So I don't know, maybe kind of things will change going forward, but I think everything's still going to kind of flow through that left side. I agree. I also think the other thing there is getting a uh, getting another aerial threat in the box is going to make such a difference for crosses because uh, for so much of the year, it's been just Nzola or Beltran in there and there's no one else really making those runs into the area, which means, you know, picking out a cross to one player among four defenders probably not going to work very well. And I do I do think that has been a lot of why Biragi's looked worse. Again, I think that he's definitely not met the standards he set last year, but I think that some of that is uh, is team-based as well. I do think as far as like a target in the box, um, while he's not the tallest and not necessarily known for being an aerial threat, I do think Andrea Bellotti offers more than either Lucas Beltran or Mbala Nzola. So I hopefully, like, you know, you can kind of start seeing some things happen. I mean, at the very least, he has that poacher's instinct where if the ball gets put into the box, you can find something scrappy here and there. Uh, but I do think at least the attack has looked better since you've come in. Like, I think this is maybe this isn't necessarily the like 20 goals a year in Torino, Andrea Bellotti, but I still do think overall he's been a pretty good solid addition to the squad. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think he's been a, a, a really good addition. And I think, yeah, I think just his sense of positioning, his understanding of where to be is really the, the difference. Not I mean, as someone who plays central defense in, you know, Sunday League, which obviously is very comparable to Serie A, uh, I will say playing against a striker, even one who's not super athletic, who just knows where to be, understands those little movements in the box, it drags you around a lot more and it opens space for everyone else. So I really, I'm with you. I think that even though he's probably not going to score a bunch of headers, I think that just his presence is going to open things up a lot in the area for... Uh, for crossing opportunities, just like it's opened things up for uh, for Lucas Beltran to really blossom a little bit. I do think one thing I will say is, and this is just kind of a couple games we've seen, so a very small sample size. This all could go, you know, just even more downhill from here as Fiorentina tends to. But this does just kind of make me more annoyed that we didn't sign him on a free then two years ago. I, I guess that was two years ago at this point. That like That kind of feels like, management dropped the ball i'm sure probably we offered less than roma or didn't have the kind of commitments or promises as far as like pedigree of competition to offer him but like he he would have been a perfect fit now like two years ago and i feel like it's kind of a shame we're getting what 30 31 year old andrea Bellotti when 28 year old andrea Bellotti was out there kind of feels like management bungled it on that one but 
I mean, he's a new signing now, so we have that. And speaking of new signings, we have two new signings coming back so everybody can get excited. I know, new signings in February? Who would have guessed? But stick around and find out who they are. Wow, wasn't that great to hear from those sponsors? We love all of those products and or services that they provide. Anyways, Heinz, you were talking about some new signings. And would you like to... uh... Man, I can't even do this with a straight face. You want to run us through this while I go, like, sob in the corner here for a little bit and put myself on mute? I mean, Gaetano, Castrovilli, and Dodo coming back, that's that's not what you hoped and dreamed when the Mercado opened up in January, is it not? (laughs) So, yes, everyone, they are coming back, so... We did want to take a little bit of a look of how they might fit into the team. Does this move the needle at all for you going forward, Tito? Uh, frankly, no, not really, is the short answer. I mean, I love Dodo. He's just seems like the most delightful character around. Uh, but also with Michael Coyote having maybe the biggest first-year breakout I can remember from a, a Fiorentina Academy player, Ever? I mean, because Chiesa's first year, it took him a little while to get his feet under him. Yeah, I would have said probably since Chiesa. But even then, yeah. to the point, like not... Coyote showed up day one, and everyone was like, oh. Yeah, I okay. mean, Coyote hit the ground running in a way that I don't recall any... Literally. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe Michele Camporese is the last one I can think of when he put uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in his pocket for... 45 minutes and then sort of dropped off the face of the earth again. Uh, but yeah, and sorry, getting back to the, uh, the topic at hand here. Um, yeah, I think that between uh, Dodo and Faraoni, I mean, the right back position is well stocked. I'm very comfortable with those two. Uh, I think it helps that it, that means that Dodo won't have any pressure to get back quicker and possibly aggravate an injury. I just want him to make sure that he's healthy and, get himself back into a rhythm before uh, before anything else. With Castrovilli, oh, man, that one feels different to me. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to you want to stick with Dodo here and just kind of run run through that and then move on to Castrovilli after? Yeah, let's stick with Dodo. I mean, I do think I was reading um, earlier today or even yesterday that, um, and I'll give credit to management here, where they really weren't rushing him back. Apparently, he did want to come back sooner and get into playing and starting right away. And apparently, allegedly, like back in December too. But they were like, "Pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Like, let's get you back. Let's get you healthy." And then still, obviously, brought in Farioni. So, like, I do really appreciate that. Um, as in, just not having him come back and blow his knee out in like the first five seconds of returning. So. I'm not sure how soon until he starts because I still kind of have to imagine that a fully fit Dodo would be our number one right back. And I mean, we do have like a very aggressive run of games coming up with Copa knockout to the conference league. Like I, th- I think we will see him fairly soon. And I do think he's a little bit different than Coyota. I mean, I do see him a lot more similar to Parisi where he's going to be your ball carrier to try and work the ball into the box that way. So it is a new kind of area of the attack from the right side that we haven't been seeing in, you know, six months. Yeah, I think the the difference in style is the, really the big one. Uh, Farione and Coyote, I think, are both mostly off-ball 
threats. I mean, what makes them dangerous? Well, in Farioni's case, it's just that he's very smart in how he times his runs and finds space. And Coyote, with the fact that he's just a boundless little ball of energy and pace, but he doesn't always seem like he really knows where he's going at this point, which, again, he's fine. I think he's going to be an absolutely fantastic player, and I can't wait to see him develop further. Uh, I think that I think what Dodo's return, assuming he comes back fully fit, which, boy, do I hope that happens. Uh, I think the biggest difference to me is that he'll give Fiorentina more solutions to get out of its own third. Because right now, pretty much the only way that happens is either... Open apart. Well, I think there's two. There's actually two things. The first is, let's let Arthur do something real, real cool, which he frequently does, and credit to him. Uh, and the other one is just thump the ball forward. So I think letting Dodo, you know, do what he does so well, which is pick up the ball pretty deep, cut inside, and just pace people to get the ball into the middle or final third and then lay it off. And then just like that, Fiorentina's broken a press. I think that's actually going to help a lot of things uh, and solve a lot of problems as far as buildup goes. So I am, I'm excited for that, assuming he can get back to his best. I do still hope he kind of has that just instant burst of pace still. I know obviously like an injury like he's coming off of can really do long-term damage and you're not quite the same after it. So I do really hope you still have kind of that explosiveness. I mean, like for example, years back we were worried about that with Kwame and he does still seem to kind of have that gazelle like pace. So like you're hopeful that Dodo still has it, but if he lost it, then it's not great. I, 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 I'm still just astonished at how quickly he's come back. I remember, like you said, back in December, I think he was uh, talking to fans on social media saying that he was going to be back I within love a month. how much he's bought into the team and the city. Like, he just seems to be the character that we kind of just need in the dressing room. Like, I'm pretty sure every week there's, like, an Instagram post saying, like, I miss you guys, I want to be back, or, like, something with his kids or his dog that they're all just screaming how much they love Fiorentina. And, like, I, you want to see people who want to be here really succeed, so I genuinely hope he comes back and does. Yeah, he's, he's just, yeah, just always smiling he just looks like a a really fun guy to play with too i mean i, I think the oh go ahead i was gonna say i also did love when he uh dyed his hair purple hey, he's he's promised to do it again maybe this year so we've we've got that going for us which is nice uh i, I think the real point of interest with uh with dodo and then with uh coyote and farioni is what happens this summer uh fiorentina especially if uh, if they don't qualify for Europe, which, you know, a lot of season left, you can say what happens. Were I a betting man, which I'm not, I'd probably say they're not going to make it uh, into Europe for next season. Uh, that, that means there won't be enough minutes for three right backs, I would argue. Who goes out of the three? It has to be one of yep. them. Who yep. goes? And uh, I, oh, go I, th- I, have, I have my answer. I want to see if you have the same answer as me. Well, I, I can see a couple of very reasonable ways to play this actually uh I, I think that dodo has to stay i mean he needs to have a full healthy season to rehab his value before before he can move on i know that his agent when he first arrived talked about how this was a stepping stone for him no idea if that's still the case again he seems delighted to be in florence 
So maybe he wants to stick around forever, but also like, you know, we all understand how the modern game works, but n- nobody's going to come in for him coming off an injury until he's proved that he's still the player he was. So that means uh, one of Farioni and Coyote is probably going to have to move out. And I can see cases for both of them uh, moving. I mean, Farioni, he's on a loan and there's no uh, obligation to buy as far as I know. So it could be you just send him back to Verona, but also he's looked really good. So I'd like to keep him around. So I think I think to me what makes more sense is sending Coyote out on loan to another Serie Aqua, probably in the bottom half, and make sure that it's understood when he goes there. Like he's there to play. He's there to play ninety minutes every week, and just really develop. Honestly, I think that putting him at Lecce would be a perfect fit uh, stylistically. And I'd really like to see that and let him develop for a year. And then at the end of next year, reevaluate, see what's going on. But I, you, you've got this face on your face. Like you've got some thoughts about this. I kind of want to hear them now. What you just described, I think is my ideal scenario. Like that's what seems to be the best scenario for all parties involved. We don't do that around here. <laughs> that's not our specialty. We don't, we don't do that. I have a feeling that come summer, Dodo gets sold. They just renewed Coyote. We love a bargain, so we're going to keep Farione. And Dodo is a sellable asset with a higher level of pedigree that they can potentially make some money on. So I know this is probably, what, his second year? And he was, what, $15 million total? I think it was the initial fee laid out to Shakhtar. So now you're like a couple of years in, you have some amortization on the books. And I think you can get a little bit of a profit on him, even if he's technically damaged goods. But if he comes back right out of the gate and he has a fantastic, you know, couple months to end the year, I can see somebody paying good money for him. I mean, he does have top level European experience from his time with Shakhtar. Obviously he played very well for us last year too. So I, do you see somebody splashing some money on him? And I think it would be stupid to let Coyote go permanently now, especially after we re- re-sign his contract. It's Don't give me that look, Tito. It's going to happen. Our hearts why, get broken. Why are, why are you Our putting that in the universe? get broken. Yeah, but we don't talk about it. We go into it and just get hit with a two-by-four every time it happens instead of sensibly preparing ourselves for it, emotionally speaking. I'll, I'll go find some salt to throw over my shoulder. But I I can see a world where Dodo gets sold in the summer and Coyote is just the number one starter next year, especially because if we don't have Europe, then they're just going to say, hey, no, fully develop here as our starting right back. No, I mean, that that does make a certain amount of sense. If, you, if they can get a fair amount of money for Dodo, I think that's probably not the worst option uh but also uh, you know coming off the big injury i don't know if anyone's going to shell out for him so it really it really depends i think honestly i think he's too good um for somebody in the premier league not to dump a stupid amount of money on him no i get well the premier league man it's the it's the championship at this point that we uh that we ought to be worried about just given the way the money's going uh, all right, man. Hey, speaking of uh, injuries and uh, moves to England, 
Should we talk about Gaetano Castrovilli now? It, I guess the first question is, is it even, is he even going to come back really? Is it in his interest? Because I honestly don't think it is. Like, I, I wouldn't like be surprised if, if he just held himself out, basically. That's, I feel like that's just like an enormous gamble for him to take. Like, I feel like it can be mutually beneficial if, you know, hey, really just, you need to bring your stock back up. We need somebody to be a just chance creator, ball carrier, something. I don't know. I just think that's way too much of a gamble to sit a whole year out and hope to get a big contract on a free. I don't think it's happening. I think he has to come back and play if he wants anything. Oh, see, I, I feel the exact opposite. I think that coming off a big injury like he has uh, multiple surgeries on a knee that has already had surgeries done, to me, it makes more sense if I were advising him financially, which obviously I'm not. Uh, I think I would probably tell him, like, yeah, man, sit out. Like, we know what you can do. Everyone knows what your skill set is. Like, why work yourself back? play poorly because you've been out for a whole year and work yourself out of money. Like give, like leave some mystery, let people think, you know, Oh man, maybe I get the, uh, the full Castrovilli experience circa 2020. And to, to me, that is very possibly his, uh, his best case scenario rather than coming back playing for a team that's again, struggling very badly and uh, underperforming as a result. I do think what's probably hurt him, or at least to me, in my eyes, what hurt him was the fact that the move to Bournemouth failed so publicly. I think if that didn't happen, and it was just we came into the year, Castro got hurt, he had the surgery, I wouldn't be thinking the way it was. But his stock is publicly pretty low right now. Because obviously... Everyone in Italy knows him, but if he wants any sort of move abroad, the only thing they're going to know about him is, oh, hey, this guy failed his medical on a potential move to England that collapsed. And I, I think the public nature of that is part of why I also wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't want to put himself at risk for Fiorentina. Again, I don't, this is all speculation, but, uh, you know, I would bet you Castrovilli's camp did not leak that he failed the medical. So who uh, who put that around? Was it Bournemouth? Was it someone else? Who could say? Who could say whose idea that was to tell everyone that, oh, yeah, see, this uh, this guy who wouldn't sign an extension with Fiorentina, turns out he's damaged goods. Who could say whose idea that was? I just, I feel like there might be a break with the uh with the viola brass and i think because of that he might just decide like yeah i'm not i don't really want to put myself at risk for this club that has sort of hung me out to dry a little bit and again like i i'm really sorry if that's how this relationship ends i love gaetano castrovilli i love watching him play when he did when he's at his best and it would break my heart if that's how this whole thing petered out but I can absolutely see why it could uh, why it could go that way from his perspective. If we're going to speculate, let's oh, say he bats. does. Let's yeah, let's say he comes back. Where does he fit? Because we saw that he really kind of was at his best in a midfield three, but we don't really play that as much anymore. 
So where do you see him lining up? Oh, I think he's part of the double pivot. No question. Uh, I, I think that you drop him next to uh, either Arthur or Alfred Duncan and let him go. I, I, I mean, I've been saying this, I think, for a little while. I don't think he's a 10. I mean, I think he's a he's a I mean, what does he do really well? He's a dribbler. He carries the ball through the lines. He drives the team up the field. He's never really done enough consistently in the final third to be a like a real attacking player, I don't think. Also, his defensive contribution has always been just deeply underrated, I think. He's a he gets through a lot of running, he gets through a lot of tackles. Uh his sense of positioning is pretty good. If he can cut down the fouls right outside the box, that would be ideal. That was but gonna I, be what I was gonna say. A but I could I could see him being a really good player next to either Duncan, who will just do the you know, the sitting deep and let Castrovilli burst forward or next to Arthur. And then you have two very good ball carriers who can uh who can drive the team forward. So yeah, I don't think he's a 10. So what you're saying is that our midfield for next season is going to be him and Amrabat in a double pivot. Not for next year, because uh, I, I don't think Castrovilli's sticking around, but I, I have a feeling he stays. That's just me personally. I, I can see him doing a one-year kind of try-it situation like we had with Milenkovic for a couple of years on a cheap deal on like a prove it kind of contract. Wow. I would love that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think his relationship with management is too broken to salvage, quite frankly. And I think he'll get an offer from someone. There's already been, I've already heard rumors uh, through the press and various places about uh, he's gotten interest from other clubs. And I I think if he's going to sign that one year prove it deal, I don't think it's going to be in Florence. I think that he's, Again, I think that relationship is just really broken, unfortunately. And I mean, that, you know, it's a business, Don, you know, that's just how it goes. So do you think then next year we go for a signing in the summer or is it Ali Bianco's time? Boy, howdy, that's a tough one. I mean, Bianco's been fantastic uh, in Serie B. Uh, showed a lot of growth, looks really good, started almost every game. But, uh, you know, who could say? I mean, I think that's really up to uh, up to Italiano to take a look at him next year in preseason. He did get minutes throughout last year. He, I mean, garbage time minutes, essentially. But, you know, I, I like Bianco a lot. I think he could fit in the in Italiano's approach really well. And also, he has as we've dog seen... In him. Well, we've seen he can take a punch and uh, stay standing. So he's a tough little dude. I like Bianco very much. Uh, that said, he does get booked so often. I worry that playing against Serie A players, he's just going to not be available because he'll be constantly suspended for yellow cards. I think last time I checked, he does have the most yellow cards in Serie B right now. Yes, he does. That is correct. Uh, and hey, tell you what, if we're going to talk about Serie B, let's make the B for break because that's what we're going to right now. And we're going to, you're going to hear a few uh, messages from our favorite sponsors right now. We love those products and or services that you just heard offered by those wonderful sponsors who pay for this podcast. Anyways, let's uh, let's jump into the next thing. All right, man. 
I, I feel like all this talk about transfers, I'm just exhausted by it. I don't like talking about the transfer market. It's all speculative and all of it's so stupid because there's so many more moving pieces involved that none of us ever see. So let's talk about something a little more tangible. And I think that's uh, the Conference League because we know who Fiorentina is going to play in the uh, in the first knockout round, Maccabi Haifa. Come on down. How are you feeling about it, man? Certainly not the worst draw that was out there. Um, I do feel like they have the potential to be a boogie team. Looking at you, Juve, you know, we could all have some fun with that one. But obviously that does go to show, like, this is a team that does have European pedigree. Some of the teams that just, you know, kind of dominate their domestic leagues, like I want to say they're either tied for or first currently uh, in Israel right now. So, like, they're their own domestic champions or runners up for a reason they're probably perennially in either the knockout rounds or even potentially to the group stages of these european tournaments so it's you really kind of can't look past them just from being not from one of the top five leagues that being said in theory we should go through pretty easily in theory the two most frightening words for a fiorentina fan in the English language, I would argue. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Maccabi Haifa is uh, joint first in the Israeli league right now. So it's not like they're bad. They've got actually a number of players, uh, real Serie A sickos. Go ahead, we'll probably just give remember. us all the names, Tito. Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm describing us. That was us I'm talking about. Uh, oh, man, who have we got here? Uh, Lorenzo Simic had a couple of years in Serie A. I think he was at Samp, he was at Empoli. Might have been at Spezia for a minute. Uh, who else? Who else was over there? Oh boy, remind me. Uh, Tito, the rest of the segment is just you naming people. Are we just naming so guys? We just played. Yeah, we're just naming guys right now. Oh, let's name some guys. I love naming some guys. Uh, Sufpud Gorianu uh, was it with the Roma Primavera for a minute, and he actually played under Italiano at Spezia. So that'll be kind of funny to see them uh, get back together. Uh, I feel like they got one more. I, I really, sorry, I, I just look at their roster and the most exciting thing in the world to me is that they have a uh, a midfielder from Angola whose name, he's got one name and his name is Show, which is just absolutely incredible. And I, I love him already. I've never seen him play, uh, but he's clearly amazing. His name, the, the man is just named Show. How cool is that? Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I don't know. I, I think I'm sorry. I'm going to reel myself back in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a, I mean, it should be a winnable opponent, right? I mean, like, again, Maccabi Haifa currently leading their league, frequently in Europe, a lot of current international players, a lot of good players. I would argue that Fiorentina on paper ought to win this. As we know, the games are not played on paper, and so it's probably going to be a dogfight. And, uh, yeah, I'm talking myself into a dark place right now, man. You want to take over here for a sec? Yeah, I'm going to start with giving a little bit of a roundup of how they came to us. They finished third in their group. Uh, they dropped down from the Europa League. They finished third behind Rennes and Villarreal. So in theory, those are teams on paper that we should be 
similar to. They did only win one of their games, but I think the biggest thing that I'm kind of taking a look at, and I'm going to hold out some slight bit of hope here, is in their group stage games, they did give up nine goals. So, you know, obviously that does show that against better opposition, presumably they just might have a little bit of a leaky defense. Um, I'm going to go into a dark place because that's really where we struggle. And now I'm terrified, but you know, I can hold out hope again. It's a team that we should beat on paper. Um, even on paper in theory, our quote unquote second team should win. But I think what probably makes me afraid is not that we won't get through, but that it's going to be a fight. Um, and you know, we'll get to this in a second, but it kind of comes at a really inopportune time in our schedule. And it's just in a run of games where we we need to go into that first leg and we need to win big so that this way you can kind of take your mind off the second leg, not completely collapse, but like hopefully make it so you really, really need to worry about one game rather than two because it's not just this happening at this time. Now, I will say that first leg does get a little bit easier because it will not be in Israel. They're actually playing it in Hungary uh, in Budapest, uh, due to, you know, pretty obvious geopolitical reasons, I would say. Uh, so that stadium is actually closer to Florence than it is to Haifa. So I would not be surprised if Viola supporters outnumber their counterparts there. Uh, have heard some reports it might be a, uh, a closed stadium. Remains to be seen if that's actually going to happen. But... Yeah, so I, I think that could add a little something, too. Uh, so, yeah, you know, another reason that you would think Fiorentina theoretically can go go out, grab a couple of goals, basically put this one to bed, uh, come back to the Franchi, and, uh, yeah, just basically play 45 minutes and then put in all the kids. But as we know, that's not how things work. And, yeah, you want to you wanna list off the... Uh, list off the schedule here so we know exactly what else is going on at this moment because it does look like it's going to add a couple other hurdles so yeah right before that we have the match against torino right after the first leg we have roma then we have the second leg and then atalanta so this really comes at a pretty piss poor time because you can't sit there and say, oh, we're just going to focus on one or the other, because Roma, Atalanta, very obviously, you know, a direct counterpart right now. As far as top 10 Serie A, Torino's having a good year. They absolutely still are a threat to us. So that's all games that you need to be, you know, at the very least draw or need to win like at this point i guess we can't draw we need to win we need to make up some points so they're all six pointer games surrounding a european you know knockout tie where do you think like are we going to put our eggs in one basket over the other like what kind of lineup do you think we're going to be putting out there uh well hopefully a good one but also how many good lineups is fiorentina capable of fielding right now uh i, th I think as we've seen the depth of the club is not ideal yeah i don't think it's really so much a matter of uh you know resting all the starters i think it's a matter of can the starters legs handle this many games and or can the uh can the team recover from not 
having Nico Gonzalez and Arthur Mello and Lucas Beltran and I don't know, maybe one or two other guys for 90 minutes in each one of these games. I do think this kind of will be the first clue as to trying to find out what the club has decided is going to be the main focus for the rest of the year. Do you chase conference league, a trophy and Europa league birth that way? Or you chase the Copa because that's not too far on the horizon after this uh, round of knockouts, or do you still hope for that seventh place finish? Because everything can start slipping away really, really quickly. And it's all happening at once right now. I, I mean, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you anyways, because that's how podcasting works. Uh, I, I don't think that seventh place is really a realistic option right now. I just, I don't see it. I don't think that Fiorentina is the seventh best team in Italy by any stretch. I think the table bears that out. And I think it is going to continue bearing that out. We might get another good run or two. But it's tough to imagine that happening with the fixtures coming this thick and fast. I just don't think the depth is there. I don't think the overall quality is there. So I, I could I can see if Italiano wants to prioritize the cup competitions. I think that would make sense on a lot of levels. But also, you know, does that mean that we have another Beppe Yakini style plummet into a relegation scrap? Do we really want to have that kind of joka, 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 calma, calma, calma? I, yeah, I don't know if my blood pressure can handle that. My doctor's probably going to tell me to stop watching Fiorentina yet again if that happens. And I'm, you know, what are we going to do about that? At seventh place at this point, like literally right now as we're recording this, technically is not that far out of reach. Right now we're only two points off of seventh. Seventh is held by Lazio, who at the time of recording, we have not played yet. So you technically, by the time you're listening to this podcast, Fiorentina could be in seventh. Since we are recording this on Sunday, Fiorentina playing on Monday, which is just incredibly stupid. Let's all go ahead and acknowledge that right away. Uh, but let's, let's let the people listening to this enjoy how stupid we are and make fun of us. You want to give me a prediction for this Fiorentina-Lazio game? And tell you what, I think that we're beyond making score predictions because, you know, we're either going to be sad or we're going to be right. And neither one of those is uh, is really going to work. Uh, Both so, make me want to drink. Oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, man, give me, a, give me a prediction for something that happens in this game that you think... You know, like if you're a like someone with a really serious gambling problem who finds a bookie who takes bets on anything, what would you tell that person to bet on in this game? Uh, I'm going with Inzola scores, but he's offsides. Not at the point where mm. it has to go to VAR and it has to be like, you know, like a 20 minute endeavor. He's just like hilariously offsides and he finally scores. So I'll get more specific there, like a good 10, 15 feet offsides. And then he finally puts the ball in the net. Ooh, I like that, actually. That's a good one. Yeah, not having to have uh, VAR come in. That's a really good call. Don't waste uh, anybody's time. Like, it's it's going to be obvious. Also very, yeah, also very likely because the man does love shooting from an offside position. He's like Pippo and Zaghi in that regard, except, you know, without the uh, the goal return and maybe like the weird tantric sex stuff as far as we know. 
Uh, I think what I would predict, yeah, I'm just going to reel that right back in. Uh, I think what I'm going to predict is uh, another Fiorentina striker doing something in the box. And in my case, it's Lucas Martinez Cuarta going for a bicycle kick and uh, probably missing it and possibly just uh, kicking some hapless defender right in the nose as he does it. And here's the thing. Given my feelings about Lazio, I won't even be that upset about it. But isn't it fear, more Fiorentina that we kick our own player in the face? Ooh. I'm sorry, Luca Ranieri, but it's going to be him. Oh, oh right in the mustache. That's going right, to sting. Right in the stash. I mean, fortunately, Luca's got that dad strength now, so he'll just laugh it right off like he laughs off literally everything. Uh, yeah, tell you what, man. Let's end this on a hopeful note. Do we want? Do we want to just talk about how cool Luca Ranieri is for a sec? I mean, we could stop right at the mustache. It it only gets better from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think just the just the sheer character. I I was, I think after Arthur Cabral left in the summer, I wanted an utter goofball player because Cabral was an utter goofball. I mean the. The VAR celebration, where he uh, he had the goal knocked off by the video assistant referee and then scored again, and his celebration was to do the the VAR symbol, the thing where every time there was a corner kick, he would walk up to the opposing goalkeeper's water bottle and take a sip from it, no matter what. Just such a doofus. You're and a big we, fan we, of his run, too. Oh, yeah, the, the, the chest out, shoulders back, arms at perfect 90-degree angles, pumping like pistons. Just, just the sheer physical comedy of Arthur Cabral made me love him so much. And I, I needed an heir to that that sense of, like, whimsical idiocy. Again, I think Arthur Cabral was a fantastic player for Fiorentina, but I needed someone who was just silly. And Luca Ranieri's that guy, man. Luca Ranieri's that guy. It was the handball, wasn't it? The handball is for sure part of the legend. But I think also the fact that he's just constantly laughing at people frequently after he fouls them. I love. I just think that, like, he's just got to be so annoying to play against. Uh, I don't remember which game it was, but it was one where uh, Ricardo Sotil got fouled and was lying on the ground and protesting wanting the guy who fouled him to get a card. And Luca Ranieri just walked up behind him, big smile on his face, grabbed him under the armpits and put him back on his feet and gave him a slap on the butt, told him to keep going. I, he's just like, he's just got more dad energy. And it's so much fun. I really like Luca Ranieri. And, you know, he's also really, really good. We'll hold out hope that next game he shows up and his boots are just white New Balance sneakers. <laughs> Yeah, wearing that uh, those cargo shorts, shirt tucked into them, love it. All right, I man, I I suddenly feel hopeful again about this team. I'm not full of despair, which is rare for me. Probably need to go get another cocktail, and we could fix that. Tell you what, my kinds, thanks for coming on, man. I'm glad that you were uh, glad we got to run through all this, even if it wasn't with McMike. He's with us in spirit. Ooh, and by spirit, we mean following Rocco. Allegedly. Allegedly. Many people say, all right, everyone, that's it from us this time around. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Viola Nation podcast. Find us at violanation.com or on Twitter at viola underscore nation. 
Big thanks to Sports Social Podcast Network for hosting us. Sports of Yola. Podcast Network.